Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Shiloh Johnson, to our show today. Shiloh is a CEO and founder of Compliant, a technology platform offering small business owners and entrepreneurs a simple way to manage their business taxes. Shiloh's journey is a testament to the power of perseverance and determination. As a young single mother at the age of 17, she faced a ton of challenges and setbacks, but truly refused to let them hold her back. Our conversation today explores her upbringing, the struggles she faced, and lessons she's learned as a single mom, and how she eventually found her passion for accounting and entrepreneurship. With a successful career in corporate accounting and owning her own firm, Shiloh recognized a need to support small business owners in a more accessible and effective way when it came to taxes. And that's when she came up with the idea for Compliant, a tech company that has now raised over 12 million, making her one of the few black women to secure over 10 million in funding. Shiloh shares her experience of bringing an idea to life, testing it before going all in, and the importance of putting yourself out there, asking for help, and pivoting along the way. We also talk about how she overcame self-imposed beliefs and limits and the importance of managing your mental health as a founder. This was a fun conversation. We get so real about life, about business. I know you're going to love this one. Welcome to the show, Shiloh. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. Yes. Well, I would love to start with something that you actually mentioned in another interview that really resonates with me. And you said, the only limits you have on your life are the ones you are putting on yourself and not the ones that other people are putting on you. What are maybe one or two things you can share with someone who's listening in today and they're thinking maybe they're not good enough, they're not ready enough, or whatever self-imposed limits right, that we all put on ourselves sometimes? Yeah. So think about what you just said in a deeper way. All the things you described are things that no one else is saying about you. No one else is saying that you're not good enough. Says who? Right? Like what measuring stick did someone line up next to you and say that this is a thing you can or cannot do? Those are all self-imposed limits. Not to say that there aren't outside issues that stand in the way of you being great. But of this day and age, those limits, even then, like back in the day when it was really, really hard for minorities and women to do things, they were still getting things done. So if that could happen then, what's stopping your bravery from showing up today? Oh my, I have like goosebumps just hearing you say that. It's <laughs> it's so true. And I feel like yeah. I mentioned this a lot in the podcast, but there's nothing more than starting a business to realize all these self-limiting thoughts. Like I was like, oh, I'm evolved. I've done all the work, but it's a whole nother ball game when you're putting yourself out there versus working at a corporate company. And 
it puts you in this uncomfortable situation all the time. And you just realize all the thoughts that you have in your subconscious that comes out that it's a good opportunity to work through all of it. So I don't know if you had similar experiences in your life, but. Oh, yeah, for sure. I say all the time people ask like keys to entrepreneurial success. And I just say get therapy a lot often. Never stop going. The more you go and learn and dig deep, the better you are at, at showing up for yourself and being brave. Like it, there's no way that you don't work on the things that you struggle with in preparation or while you're building and launching something. It's just impossible. You can't hide while doing yes. It's so true. And what I've also realized, and that's actually a common theme with a lot of the women on my podcast is they do see a therapist or a coach of some sort. So I just want to underscore that. But also it's interesting. And this is something that I'm just learning. Whatever milestone as your business grows, you know, let's say you're working through whatever issues that might come up in the first stage, like you are constantly tested as your business grows. And like you said, you cannot hide. So it's just, if you can put that practice in earlier, it's just only going to benefit you as a person and your team and your family and people around you. So I love that. So I'd actually love to start kind of going back to your childhood. You know, looking at you now, you seem like just such an incredible and confident woman, but I know that wasn't always the case. So can you kind of talk to us more about your childhood and upbringing? (laughs) Oh, gracious. So I'm the youngest of seven. My mom and dad have four kids and then my mom remarried and he had three. So we consider ourselves a party of seven. And so I'm the youngest. I am the only girl of my mom and dad's children. Oh, really? And yeah. And in that environment, I definitely think it sort of honed me to toughen up or thicken my skin. When you have older brothers, they just don't let you sheep out. (laughs) You know, they don't let you hide. They're just like, they may make fun of you. You have to deal with embarrassment. You have to deal with like (laughs) all of that, just all of the gross stuff. I mean, they were so weird and awkward and just horrible to me. I mean, in a loving way. And so that really, I think, shaped me for uh, showing up in ways where I I just have never let or try not to let fear sort of cripple who I am. When, when you are able to stand in embarrassment, so if you were ever like bullied as a young person, or if you, you know, struggled with always dealing with moments of embarrassment, that hardens you a little bit, right? Because there's nowhere anyone can take you that you haven't already been. When you've been really humiliated around something, there's no where someone else can take you. Everything else just feels easy. And so that was a lot of my younger life. So from that also to like, I had children very young. So I had my first daughter when I was 17. Wow. Yeah. And so when you're raising kids and you're a kid, (laughs) it takes you to these levels where you are pushing yourself beyond even your own limits of understanding. And so when people say hard or like hustling in the tech industry, they talk a lot about hustling. I always say, you all don't know real hustling. You don't know real hustling unless you're like a single mom, going to school full time, working full time, raising children. Like, you don't know hustling. (laughs) Yeah. It's so true. You know, it's funny because we don't have kids yet. We're both entrepreneurs, me and my husband, and we're thinking about just like what it takes to have a kid. And every time we talk about it, I'm like, mad respect for single parents, single moms, single dads who are working full time doing it. It is not easy. So actually, you know, that was one of my next questions. I know you had your first kid when you were quite young. I actually didn't know at 17. That's younger than I was thinking. But (laughs) what would you say? And you mentioned a few of this, maybe like some of the high level challenges that came with that, but the biggest blessings in terms of how you kind of grew into the person you are today. Yeah. High level. You mentioned it a second ago, raising children is impossibly hard. You are doing everything right and wrong at the exact same time. And you never can tell which is which. Mm. And it is 
every bit of you with almost zero thanks. <laughs> it's the hardest, also most rewarding, but hardest job I think any woman signs up for. And thankfully, I, I will say I was young. So the blessing was I had more energy. Yeah. And I could run around and do all of these things. Me now in my age, I, there's no way. I, like, I need to nap <laughs> every like four hours. Like I can't. So I couldn't imagine doing it to that degree now. I think the blessing was I talk about this a lot. So someone I'm sure listening to this who has ever heard me speak or has heard me say this. The best parts about getting through hard is it is the foundation of excellence. Like the foundation of excellence is, is not excellence, it's hard. Because how do you learn to stand straight and value standing straight if you haven't had your back broken? A few mm. times? And so I don't think that we as women, I don't think we as minorities, I don't think we dig into that enough and leverage what has come from your heart, whether it's cultural hard being a minority or whether it's hard just life circumstances or whatever it is you've been through, we don't leverage it while or often hiding it. Like it's something to be embarrassed about, but how can you leverage, use, and depend on the value you gained from that hard and use it to be great? I saw a video the other day and a guy was saying like, the most insightful people you will ever meet have been through unbelievable traumas. Because that's how you learn insight. Yes. You don't learn it because you read books. Like nobody cares. <laughs> you read it because it was hard. I leverage being a young mom. Like it broke me down for sure. But what I got from it was tenacity. I am unbelievably tenacious. There is not much that can stop me. Because I got through that, everything else feels like, oh, that's my light work. You want to run this business? Sure. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> like, Do you know what I just did <laughs> 10 years ago? Let me tell you. That was hard. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> no, it's so true. And I know before we went on the podcast, we were just talking a little bit more about my intentions with even doing this podcast yeah. is to talk about the hard. Because yeah. we see like, oh, she's on magazines. Oh, look at her with all her followers. Oh, she has this incredible business. She exactly. raises money. Yeah. I'm like, girl, it is not sexy behind the scenes no. to get to that. You know, like <laughs> you're right. Every, and that's really reassuring because I've interviewed now yeah. just like hundreds of women who have been doing entrepreneurship game. And yeah. even when I have gone through my own challenges, and I'm still pretty young, yeah. like two and a half years in my business, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really throw me off my game because I know this is part of the process and yep. it always works out. It puts you through the ringer, but it truly does, right? I mean, I'm sure Absolutely. there's so many things in your life. But I actually want to talk about, you know, when you did have a child quite young, I know your parents, if I remember correctly from another interview did, what was their thoughts around this? Uh, so my parents are very religious, very Christian. I When I always say I was born and raised in the church, I literally was born <laughs> in the church. When I was born, my parents were homeless. And so I they used to sneak into the basement of a church. And that was the same church that they were serving in. And the church parishioners, no one knew. And so, I mean, eventually they were housed I, relatively yeah. quickly, but... Yeah, they were very, very, very religious and just did not believe in anything that I was doing at the time. And I am very, I was at the time very rebellious. And so they very much were like, she's a lost cause. Everyone was like, if she graduates high school, it will be a miracle. I think they knew me well enough to know that that would work. Like my brother called me once and he said, your kids deserve better than what you're giving them. And at the time, my ego showed up and was like, F you, you don't yeah. know. <laughs> but in truth, it pushed me because I was like, oh, yeah, watch me show you. 
And then from that moment on, it just like a switch turned on. And I was like, oh, not only am I going to go, but I'm going to go harder and better than everyone else. And I will show you. And so it, it worked. The sort of staunch like rearing that I was brought up in really served as, I don't know, the catapult to leap into my own thing. I didn't have the same subjugation. I think that a lot of people feel this sort of bound to their parents. I was very much rebellious. So I was like, you think I'm going to fail anyway, so I might as well try doing something crazy. And yeah, see if it works. So it just worked. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I actually did not know that your parents, you know, before you were born were homeless and working yeah. at a church. So I'm sure from their perspective, yeah. they're like, we have hustled to create this great life for our kids. Right. Yeah. And look at our only daughter kind of shifting exactly. her path. But exactly. I love that you turned it into like, let me prove what it looks like. I think this concept yeah. of like proving is really interesting. I was actually talking to my, I don't know, she's like a therapist. She's kind of like, yeah. she's in everything, like spiritual coach, like all the things. And we were talking about kids and I was like, you know, I'm running a business. I don't know. You know, people are always like, kids are hard and good luck. And how are you going to do this? You know, in, in a more yeah. negative way. And I appreciate it because yeah. it's like the reality, right? I'd rather know the reality of yeah. what we're getting into. And she's like, Yasmin, there's one thing that you do really well is like, you're always trying to prove people that there's a different way of doing things. Like even running a business, what does it look like to keep our mental health in check and be happy while we're growing a business? Because I did it all wrong in my old life and I was near burnout. But the concept of proving is just interesting. Like, how can you prove to others that, you know, in your case, you can have a kid very young and still make it in life and have your shit together. And for me, it's like, how do I prove that I can, we both can run our businesses and have a kid. And when I'm there, I'm sure I'll talk more about it. But I just love the concept of proving because it could be a really good fuel. I want to fast forward a little bit, but you ended up still going to college. I know you wanted to be a lawyer, but then you shifted into accounting, which I actually think is great. I studied finance and I think there's not enough women who kind of fall into accounting. It doesn't look sexy. It's not something that people gravitate (laughs) towards, but it's important. So tell me more, like what shifted your lens on wanting to kind of get into the numbers and study accounting? Yeah. So at the time, while I was in college, I was working at a large, like international retailer. And my boss at the time, I was working in their tax department and I was a clerk. And she said, you should change your major from law to accounting. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't know why I would do that, but sure. And her reasoning was that there are very few women and minorities in this industry. And so you will basically be able to pave your own path and you will be a trailblazer. At that point in my life, I had no interest in being a trailblazer, but I liked the idea of what she was saying was essentially you would never have a hard time finding a job and you would have relative stability and the pay is really good. And so I was like, all right. And essentially tax and law are very, very similar. Tax is really just law. So I saw the similarities, took an accounting class and I didn't hate it. And then I started to realize very quickly that it was like a superpower. Tax information was like not widely known in the U.S. Nobody teaches accounting. They don't teach tax unless you're at the collegiate level. And then you really even then don't get it unless you're really deep in the industry. And so I was like, ooh, it's like I know these secret things that no one else knows and I can like teach other people. (laughs) So I took the challenge on and I ended up not being half bad at it. And uh, yeah, I haven't looked back ever since. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally 
literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening listening. And now let's get back to the show. I love it. It's so true. I understand accounting just because I took the classes in college, but taxes is like a whole other thing since starting my business and it stresses me out. And now I know why you started your company, which we'll get into in a little bit, but it's a lot to wrap your head around. And there's so many, and you know, it's funny. I never really thought about taxes kind of being similar to law, but there are, there's like so many rules in place and they're a little complicated. You have to like understand them and sift through it all. So that is cool to be in that position as like an expert that people are always going to for that. And so, you know, you mentioned one thing that what was also attractive in kind of falling into the world of accounting and taxes, like the stability that you had for your own being a mother, a single mom, wanting to obviously support your family. So I know you kind of spent a good amount of time over a decade working at corporates, and then you ultimately decided to kind of start your own firm, like your own accounting firm. So tell me more about how did you shift from working at corporates to then supporting small business and doing your own thing? Yeah. So at that time, I was working at a very large, I guess you would call it like a real estate sort of conglomerate. They would buy up properties and renovate them and rent them out. And they were in the middle of this massive Texas audit. 
And I was helping manage that audit as part of my job. So if you don't know anything about audit, it's just essentially where you get basically an assessment at the top of the audit. And they say, well, we think you're going to owe $50 million. And it's your job as the audit sort of manager, the person that's coordinating the audit for the company, to basically prove to the auditor that that number is wrong. Mm. And so I then was charged with that task of, hey, here's all the things that you have to consider. Here's how we do business. Here's how we got to the calculations that we got to and why your number is wrong. At the end of the audit, the bill ended up being like a tenth of what the original bill was. I mean, I saved them millions and millions of dollars and I didn't get anything. I didn't even get like a Starbucks gift card, (laughs) like a flower, (laughs) nothing. I was like, oh, this sucks. (laughs) So I very quickly realized two things as a result of that. One of them was, A, I can do this. I can do this at the grand level. And B, they are never going to pay me what I'm worth. And so at that point, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I can do this on my own and make way more money and be good. And I don't need to, you know, have the biggest firm in the world. I just wanted to be able to help people. And I wanted to be able to be sort of the master of my own domain. And that was it. That was the catalyst. I gave myself six months and I had enough money to save that I could pay my bills for six months. And I said, if I don't build my book of business to match what my salary was in this six months, I'll go back to corporate. I know I'll be able to get a job because again, no one's hired, no one is applying for jobs in tech. So I was always available for positions and it worked. I didn't even need six months. By the end of the first month, I had doubled the salary I was making and I was like, oh, there's no turning back. Oh my gosh, there's so many things that kind of go into my mind with that story. Having the confidence to know that you can always go back and like get a job, right? For you, you had that. I even told myself that like, if this doesn't work out, I'll go. You'll figure it out, right? Like there's, it's not like you're unemployable. There's so many jobs out there for anyone who's listening. If you want to like take that risk, like the plan B is not even that bad. But I love that you also were thoughtful in terms of like, I have six months of runway to pay my bills to kind of set you up for that. I also did that. I did like a year. But how did you also think about bringing on clients? Like, were you kind of hustling? this as a side thing when you were working full-time or it was really once you quit, you kind of tapped into your network and got your first few clients? It was once I quit. So I, if you don't know anything about tax, it's always like this. Someone is always asking you to do their taxes, <laughs> True. whether it's family or friends. It's just, oh, can you do my taxes? And, I, right. and I always say no. I always used to say no. But that I think was the spark of like, mm, let me see if I can find a handful of people that need their taxes done. Essentially what I did was two things. I built a very simple landing page that had my contact information on it and a calendar, like a scheduling calendar. And then the second thing I did was I called a mentor that I had at the time. She ran a very large business management firm. She had, so her clients are celebrities and like athletes. And so there were parts of her business where she had some people that only wanted her to do their taxes and Business management, if people don't know, it's basically the entire management of celebrities and athletes' business functions. So that's everything from like paying their bills, maintaining their homes, tax, and everything in between. And so she wasn't interested in the tax-only clients. And so I called her and I was like, do you have any clients that just want you to do your taxes that you would be willing to give over to me? She's like, sure. And she gave me like a handful of clients. That really catapulted it. Tax is a lot like law in the sense that like everybody just kind of goes to who recommends them. Yeah, right. And so Mm -hmm. I was able to use that as like the starting point. And then they were fishing me out and people were recommending me places. And I was getting a lot of inbound on my landing page that started it. 
Oh my, I love just the simplicity of throwing up a landing page, putting right. Calendly, like not really overthinking every step. Yeah. And that is interesting with taxes because people always hit me up and I'm asking people like, who do you use for taxes? You're right. <laughs> it's like, A, you have to do so people spend money on it. And B, it's like, who yeah. do you trust? Because yeah. it's such a complicated thing sometimes. So I love, and then you were doing good work. You built like a reputation for yourself. So I can see that kind of creating momentum for you. So at what point were you like, all right, there's a need here that ultimately you ended up creating compliant, which I want to get into, but like, what was the next stepping stone for you to kind of think through a new product that you can create to service your own clients? Yeah. So I think I've always had a desire for tech in some degree. I had noodled around an idea the year prior for like a fitness app. I don't know anything about fitness, but I just went to the gym like twice and decided I was going to yeah. make a fitness app. I don't know. And what happened with that app? Oh, I had no subject matter expertise. I didn't even know where to, like what I was doing. I was just like, oh, there could be this app that could help people find trainers. And I'm like, no, <laughs> let me put this down. This is not <laughs> what I need to be doing. So I put it down and kept working and doing what I was doing. So I've always had like a passion for tech. And what you start to see if you serve any industry long enough, you start to see the potholes. This is the value of like industry expertise. I think in the tech industry, everyone talks a lot about drop out of college and then go start this tech company. And then it's going to be like the next Google, but not necessarily because there is value in working a career and then getting expertise in said career. Because what you get out of that is a laundry list of experiences and interactions with people that are in the midst of this problem. And so I was serving D-list celebrities and benched athletes, but I was getting all of this inbound from these small businesses that were just like, help, fire, fire, help. And a good portion of those folks couldn't actually afford my fee structure. And so they were like, can you just do this for a prayer and a mini bun? And I was like, no, I can't. But I started to realize that like, there's got to be a way that I can serve this group of people, if nothing else, then with information. Because what I started to see is these people were suffering. I mean, like crazy tax issues, hundred, $200,000, $300,000 tax bills. Tax is really complex in the sense that there are lots of levels. And so they were like ignoring entire sections. People were charging sales tax and keeping the money. I mean, just chaos. And I was like, where actually are you all learning about tax as business owners? And they were just like, <laughs> you know, we're not learning at all. We're just kind of meandering. And then we wait for the windfall of damage to come upon us. And I was like, oh, oh, there's something there that I could support people with using technology that can support the masses much more cheaply than if like one-to-one in a CPA environment because a really qualified CPA is expensive. So what ends up happening is business owners will take the cheap thing because it's what they can afford. And it's usually someone that's not qualified to handle what they need to have done to its capacity. It's usually someone that's a little less qualified because of the price point. And so I was like, oh, there's there's a way I can help these folks. So that's what sparked the idea. I love it because you mentioned sometimes it's great to have a career because you do figure out the potholes. And I think there's so much you can pull in from of just different work experience that only helps you when starting a business. And I was so gung-ho for years of, I want to do my own thing. I want to do my own thing. And I never ended up launching something, but it all worked out in my favor because I also had like a career. I'm able to pull from different aspects and it always works out. Whether you decide to like kind of leave your expertise or whatnot, you always end up pulling experiences from the past. But I'm curious, you are not necessarily a technical founder. I know you ended up launching this business. So that could feel very intimidating for someone. You are this incredible powerhouse in taxes. You have this idea 
but you're not really the technical lead. And it's a lot to build a tech product. So what did those early days look like from, oh, you have this idea to like, okay, let me start doing something with this. Yeah. So back to the parts when life was hard, here's where it started to pay itself forward. Again, when you've been through hard, sometimes you just do things because you're like, what do I have to lose? It can't be any worse than what it was. So let's go. And so I don't spend a lot of time meandering around ideas. When I have the idea, I do it. And I do this almost immediately. So the second I thought about compliant, I filled up a legal pad with like wireframes and ideas and notes. And then the very next day I incorporated. And then the day after that, I started trying to find someone to help me suss out and code what I was trying to build. I don't spend a lot of time meandering because I think in that space, you lose, A, the fire that Mm -hmm. you have when the idea is new. You need Mm -hmm. that fire to carry Mm. you through when Mm -hmm. there's nothing there and it's like feels daunting. I don't want to lose that. And it's very valuable to me. And then also, it's just never that serious. Right. Like the things that we we talk ourselves in and out of is just it's unreal because we think it has to be this massive, perfect thing that looks great. And you got to go pay somebody a million dollars to go build this website. And then you got to go do this. No, you can put up a landing page through Squarespace for 20 bucks and then like a calendar link. And then you move on because in that action, you it's the practice of doing that creates the success, the motion and momentum of success. It's not the action of thinking. Like the greatest people that did whatever they did, they did something. They weren't just like, I thought about it and then nothing happened. I just sat to doing and said that I'm going to figure this out. I'm terribly also naive, which serves itself in my favor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, it's all going to work out great. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) I'm like very, very naive in that sense. I appreciate that about my personality. It shields me from (laughs) a lot of things. And so I just was like finding people. I fell a lot. So I ended up wasting money. I ended up doing things that didn't work. But each one of those things served me to my benefit that got me to the person that ended up actually helping me code something that I could use. Because at that point, I wasn't evolved enough to think like, I'm going to make this massive Google company. I'm going to be venture backed. I was just going to bootstrap this thing so that people could use it, build up enough momentum, and maybe eventually I'll sell it. That was kind of my whole roadmap or plan. And it wasn't until I actually started getting customers and getting in front of people. I did this pre-accelerator and they were like, oh, no, no, you have something much, much bigger than even you know. And then that forced me to sort of rethink it. But Incredible. Yeah. So before you joined this accelerator, you were just kind of self-funding this on the side? Yeah. Yeah. And how much money roughly did you spend until you kind of were like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of onto something now after all those failures and whatnot? I was probably 40-ish thousand dollars in. Yeah. And that's like paying contractors. Yeah. That's I didn't pay a ton for the tech or like cloud house, data warehousing fees or anything like that. Because there's a lot of stuff for new entrepreneurs, new founders, a lot of free stuff that you can take advantage of to help you like build what you're trying to build. I think I spent more money on like the sort of administrative stuff and then on contracts, but the most money on contractors mm-hmm. just to get something built and, and out the door. Yeah. And how did you know? I think, were you in grid 110? Was that the accelerator? Oh yeah. yeah. I love the people there. They're amazing. I've heard such great things. How did you realize like, okay, I'm onto something. You're still running your business, your main business, which was supporting clients, right? So you're have this full-time job. You're working on this product on the side. What was inspiration for you to join an accelerator? Because it seems like that was really 
such a critical point that really opened your eyes to so much more, I think, than what oh, yeah. you were expecting. So well, I'd love to hear more about that in case it helps anybody who might be interested in like joining the accelerator. Yeah, back to my naivete. Back when uh, pre-COVID days, I feel like it's like a whole another lifetime, but <laughs> in pre-COVID, there was the wing, used the LA version of the wing had this like pitch competition that I had heard about or saw on Twitter or something. And I entered it. It was like a women's pitch competition. And there wasn't it wasn't for prize money or anything. I think it was just like to get your business out there. And so I entered and I got an opportunity to pitch. And I had no idea how to pitch. I had just made some like random deck from a template I had gotten that day. I put zero effort and money into doing it. I was like, well, if I can't figure out how to talk about my business succinctly and clearly, I shouldn't be yeah. doing this. And yeah. I am not a very, well, I am now, but then I was a very frightful speaker. I was not a very good speaker. And so I was like, I have to build up the cojones to be able to like speak clearly and, and you know, diligently about the business. And so if I can't do this pitch competition, I don't need to be doing this. That was like my cutoff point. So I did the competition and one of the judges was a woman named Anna Barber. And Anna Barber in the LA tech scene is very, very, very connected. At the time, she was an engine director for Techstars. And now she's at M13. She ends up coming to me after and she's like, you have a great idea. She's like, do you know this person and that person? She's like, naming all these people. It's like, I've never heard of anything you're saying. I just came here to break my fear around it. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to introduce you to everyone. So later on that week, she sent me an email and she said, hey, Grid 110's applications are open. You should enter. I didn't even know what Grid 110 was. It kind of looked like a little cheeky and like, I don't know. I was like, I'm not going to get anything out of this. And I was like, uh, I'll try. You never know. Yeah. Ended up changing my life. I entered. Wow. I got accepted. Changed my entire life. Oh, my God. And how did it change your entire life? What were some of the the biggest lessons you kind of learned from joining Mickey, right? Mickey and her team there at Grid yeah, 110. Yeah, yeah, Mickey Reynolds. Yeah. So it's a couple of things. So first of all, what Grid 110 is masterful at is community. So it is like a masterclass in building and participating in community. And when you're building anything, that's really what you're trying to do. You're trying to galvanize at least some size of, you know, group of people around what it is that you're selling, doing, or, or launching. And if you can get that, that power 100, that passion 100 in and saying, I love this and I'm an advocate for it and I'm going to drive it forward, that 100 changes the game. And so Grid 110 is brilliant at teaching you how to do that. They don't necessarily hyper-focus in tech. They've got like CPG companies. They've got all kinds of different you know, business structures, but their goal is to basically build the business ecosystem in LA. And so that, number one, was lesson number one. Also, the people that I did Grid 110 with, I'm still connected to to this day. It was like, it, it's super great community. But what they taught me was just how to understand building and scaling at a pace that makes sense versus just sort of meandering. I was just meandering. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I'll just try this thing and do this thing over here. I had no real structure and momentum forward, and they really taught me how to build that. And then also there was a relationship I made out of that a gentleman named Austin Clements. He helped with that cohort that I was in. He ended up becoming my first investor. So that was sort of the switch. <laughs> I think this is really important because it all kind of stemmed from you putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation when you were going to that pitch competition because yeah. most people <laughs> wouldn't do that. And I totally understand. You're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, if I can't figure out how to explain my business, because I've been there before too. Like People are like, wait, what do you do? And I'm going off this tangent. I was like, I got to get my shit together. No one's going <laughs> to listen to me. When people tell me about their business and it's like long, I'm like, what are you saying? So the fact that you can <laughs> put yourself out there is just so important. And I want to highlight that because because 
so many of like successful women, similar to everything you've kind of done in your life, you are not overthinking like the unpreparedness or stopping yourself from any fears. Like you still have the courage to go. And I feel like if people can just implement that in their life, even in the simplest of ways, day to day, it doesn't have to be this huge pitch competition. Like you really don't know where your life will go. And just seeing your story of this one person you met, and then you connected with Grid 110. And then you met Austin who invested and like, I'm sure the rest is history, but you really don't know. And there's this confidence because my whole life has been like that. Anytime I get a little overwhelmed, I'm like, let me just do the next few steps in front of me because you never know what will come from putting yourself uncomfortable, doing this tough thing. Like I say yes to things I'm nervous about all the time. It does get easier. It's still hard, but I just want to highlight that because I feel like a lot of people don't even take that first step. And it's so cool to see how your life kind of unfolded. So I do want to now talk about fundraising. So it's pretty incredible. I know your team sent me some stats that, you know, you've raised a little over 12 million. And what's wild, like I know the stats for women raising money, minority women raising money were quite low, but I didn't know that less than 200 black women in the country have ever raised over a million dollars. That is super wild. And hopefully I can, I would love to change this at some point once I make a ton of money and start investing. But (laughs) what was your experience like? I know there's a lot. We can do a whole nother podcast on this, but I know there's a lot. I'm like, where do I start with this question? But in terms of fundraising, maybe what were some of the challenges that you faced? I'm sure it wasn't easy. And maybe some of the lessons you learned going through your own process, because 12 million is no easy feat. Uh, for sure. Challenges initially, you'll notice if you have ever tried to raise money and you're a minority listening to this, is it's very hard to get the first check-in. The first check-in is like, unbelievably difficult because it requires you having an advocate that sees the thing you're doing when no one else sees value in it and has said yes. And because investment is very FOMO driven, it's based on what everyone else is doing. So if no one's taking the risk to say, I see this business, it's going to be great. I believe in it. Then it's very hard to galvanize at least someone to like advocate for what you're trying to do, which then brings other investors in. I have been incredibly privileged and fortunate to not have had the fight that others, like my other peers, have had to have because as a result of Grid 110, Austin participated. And so my first check-in was someone post the program ending calling me and saying, we want to invest. So I didn't have a ton of blood, sweat, and tears there, but I see it. I see it constantly with my peers. And they all come to me and ask me, like, how did you do it? And I'm just like, I lucked up. I don't know. I don't have the answer, but it's that. But I, I think a lot of it is back to my naivete. I also wasn't prepared to raise money. I didn't really understand all the ethical like, and legal nuances of raising money. And let me pause to recommend this book called Venture Deals. It is, I think, I can't remember who the author is, but it's a brilliant book. You should read it. If you're ever thinking about raising money, Venture Deals is the book to read. I read it too late. So early days, I didn't know anything about anything. And so I was primed to make, I'm sure, some pretty poor decisions. Thankfully, I had some legal step in and say, actually, this is not what you want to do. And so that's a lot of it. It's like there's a lot of legal nuances there that you can really set yourself up for taking really bad deals if you don't know some of the language. Yeah. No, it's true. And I've had friends who are now on the other side of it who are like, oh my gosh, I never thought about this rule. And I was like, oh my God, there's so many things to kind of go into. But that's pretty awesome. And I know one thing you mentioned, I think in another interview that earlier on when you were fundraising, you sometimes would feel like a little anxious. I mean, that's such a common feeling. I'm sure so many people resonate. You know, you're asking people for money. And like you said, before you read venture deals, you didn't really understand. How did you kind of get comfortable or did you have like a mindset switch in terms of just presenting yourself and dealing with any 
anxious thoughts that came about or no, you just felt confident that there was something here for them? (laughs) I knew the problem was a problem. Yeah. I wasn't trying to convince people or investors that this is a problem that needs to be solved. I knew it and investors knew it. That was the beauty about the industry I chose. It's like, as soon as you say I'm in tax, people are like, oh, I know it's horrible. No one ever says I got my taxes under control. Like no one says that. So I knew that I was in an area that they would feel the pain point. And that was one sort of lift off of my chest that I didn't have to convince people. Like a lot of people are coming into raising money and saying, please believe in this thing. I know it's a problem. And uh, and the investors are poking holes in it left and right. That's their job to find the holes. And so that doesn't exist for me because everyone knows the taxes and universal issue. So I was able to relatively walk in comfortable. But what switched in me is when I stopped trying to pitch. I know a lot of people do a lot of coaching and they're not very strong speakers. And I know this is nuanced for each person. And I'm not saying throw out your pitch. Please don't do that, especially if public speaking is not your strong suit. But mm-hmm. what is my strong suit is naturally just being me and yeah. just talking. That is how I can connect with the investor the best. It's not like going through slides and talking about percentage differentials on projections in future years. That's not what's going to win them. What's going to win them is them hearing me say, I feel the pain of my small businesses that they're struggling every single day to figure out just how to get their business out there. They're struggling with marketing. They're struggling with selling. The last thing on their mind, but the most expensive thing on their mind is tax. And we've got to find a way to do it better. And when I can convey the, the passion in that and my experience in working with these people, that connects with an investor one for one every time. And I was trying to like read off of a proposed thing that I had memorized and I was losing myself and I was losing them. So as soon as I dropped my pitch and was like, look, this crap sucks and we need to fix it. Here's how it sucks and here's what I'm going to do about it. And then that's when stuff got just much, much, much easier. (laughs) I really believe that. And I think that's relatable to so many aspects of business. I mean, even for this podcast early on, I'd be like in my head about it. And then, but when you're able to kind of go into who you are and authentically show up as yourself, it sounds easy, but it's actually a little tough sometimes. So I'm curious, what was that switch that made you realize F this deck? I mean, you still need to have it. I don't want people to be like, oh, I don't need a deck. (laughs) But like, how did you realize in those meetings, I just need to be who I am? Because sometimes there is kind of like a blockage, but how did that release from your brain? I had a mentorship session with a gentleman who ran a company for the life of me, I can't remember his name. And he was talking about, he didn't use decks. And he was like, ah, I don't do any of that. And I was like, cause I was like, can I use see your deck and compare it to mine? And he yeah. was like, I don't, I don't do any of that. <laughs> I was like, oh, so there's another way to do this. And yeah. so that was point one. And then point two was I participated in this it was like a masterclass in fundraising. So it was five sessions with a gentleman named Jason Way. And Jason teaches you sort of the ins and outs of fundraising. And he was like, you're much more passionate when you're just talking. He was like, stop trying to teach me or stop trying to like rehearse to me what you think I need to hear. He's like, just talk. You're so much more passionate when you just talk. And I was like, <laughs> I am throwing this out. That is it, confirmation. Yes. <laughs> and I tried it and it worked. <laughs> I love that. And I think another point that just comes to mind is sometimes I feel like we're always trying to solve our own problems ourselves. And what I appreciate about you is like, you were taking a masterclass, you were asking people, I think sometimes as even an entrepreneur, even I do this is like, I put a lot of pressure on myself to figure things out. But 
I know that's not the right thing to do. But anytime I have one conversation or I ask one person, it just opens your brain up to so many different ways of doing something that you're just like, God, Yasmin, are you ever going to learn? It's not all on you. I'm still learning this. But that just came to mind as you were talking about your experience of like, I was doing this pitch deck. And then you talked to this one person, you did this masterclass, and then it just kind of opened your way. So I guess the, the moral of this entire interview is like, put yourself out there, connect with people. Don't be afraid to ask questions because you don't have all the answers and you don't need to have all the answers because that's a lot of pressure that you can put on yourself. Absolutely. And people know so much more than you. Yeah, They've probably been there. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it's like, why not harness someone else's experience that you might not have had, which is only a beautiful thing. So I know we're like kind of coming up on time, but I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, what would you say are maybe looking at your whole entrepreneurial journey, which you've been doing, you've been in this game for a long time, maybe what were, what are some of the most proudest or greatest moments you've experienced, whether it's personally or professionally? Yeah, they're going to be off the wall answers because they're kind of unrelated to entrepreneurship. But the first sort of most proud moment was the day I graduated college. And that was the most proud because no one thought I would do it. Also, I did it hard. I did it scared. I did it frustrated. I did it not having resources. I did it alone. And I finished. And oftentimes, I mean, I barely finished. I'm not the the case that got straight A's and like was honors all the time. I was like trying to tape my eyes open during the exam and pray I don't fail. So I made it and making it meant, oh, you can do anything. If you did that, there's nothing you can't do. So that was proud moment number one. Proud moment number two, when we had the first customer on the platform that paid. There is something unreal about seeing your thing come to the world and someone actually paying money for a thing that didn't exist yesterday. And this was different for me than the the CPA firm because CPA services is something that exists, but compliant didn't. And to have this thing in the world now and someone actually pay for it, I was just like, yes, I did. (laughs) <laughs> it was a very proud moment. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. And, and then like the someone that's paying for it isn't a family member or a friend. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Oh my God, Susie in Idaho just bought my product? How did she exactly. find my site? It's such a cool feeling. Oh my, I remember, exactly. yeah, my it, that's a really, that's a great answer because it definitely resonates with me. And I know we didn't go into the details of compliant. I know at a high level, you talked about some of the pain points, but can you kind of share more about the product? Because I do think, A lot of business owners aren't thinking about taxes, aren't doing it right. Even someone like me, who I think I'm on top of it, I have so many hurdles. So I'm excited to actually sign up for Compliant ASAP. But I'd love to hear more about what you guys provide and how you help some of the pain points for business owners. Absolutely. So we are the number one question or response I used to get when I was interviewing or talking to small businesses was like, you don't know what you don't know. And so Compliant set its mission out to be, we are what you don't know about tax. And so basically we take tax code at the local level, the state level, federal level, and we truncate it down into a searchable database that returns back to you all of the tax types that would matter to your business and then calendars them all out throughout the year for you so that you get email and text reminders that, hey, this thing's coming up. It's going to, don't forget to pay. Because a lot of the problem around tax is the penalties. We pay over $60 billion every single year in tax penalties. It's crazy. So I was like, ah, that's solving problem number one. Here's what you don't know. Now let's grow this out a bit more. Let's start to budget about what you don't know so that you have an idea of how much these bills are going to be. Then we're going to start getting into helping you create the habit of saving for your tax bills so that you're not having these massive bills when it's time to file. And then also 
and start getting you into filing and payments. And so that's how we're thinking about the life cycle of the company. That's where it exists today. But the sole goal is to sort of grapple all of tax under one umbrella and serve it up on, on a very simple platter for the small business owner. And that's what we do. Oh, that's huge. And this is just a selfish question because I'm dealing with my own tax stuff, but like sales tax kind of falls into that because I know like yeah. per county and I'm charging sales tax, but I'm wanting to make sure like we're paying it well, you know, and I'm still yeah. confused about all that, even though we're paying, but you guys make that easy because a lot of people aren't even thinking about sales tax. And I'm like, you guys need to like understand it. So it's all on your platform as well. That's what we do. Yep. Income That's tax, awesome. sales tax, business licenses, annual reports, oh, all of is, it. Oh my God. God bless yeah. you. And it's very reasonable. <laughs> like the pricing, I looked at it for the different yeah. tiers. It's not like $800 a month, which I'm so used to trying all these yeah. platforms. I'm like, guys, you're not helping me cancel my subscription. It's so... Exactly. exactly. Oh my, I've gone through so many people, but I'm so excited. And then how does this work alongside your accountant? So just to, yeah. to make it clear for anybody who's listening. Yeah, I love that question. So if you're a party of one and you don't have the money for a CPA, we're going to get you through. We'll give you resources, information, education. You won't be alone. But if you happen to have a CPA, then we serve as a really good checks and balance system to your CPA. A lot of times people think that your CPA is just getting it all done for you osmosisly, and that's not always necessarily true. Also, that CPA has their own book of business and you're not their only client. So they're not going to prioritize you over every little thing that comes in and that you need done. They've got lots of things that they've got to manage for lots of clients. And so this serves as your own middleman checks and balance system. Like, did my business license get paid this yeah. year? Oh, I didn't even know I was supposed to get a business license. And you call your CPA and they're like, we don't do business licenses. That's yeah. on you. And so now you've got this like gap. And so we get to live in that gap really nicely. I love that. And just, I mean, I'm not even on compliant yet, but I will be ASAP. But like, it's so true because there's so many things like your business license renews and then your sales tax, like my CPA doesn't deal with all that stuff. So who's dealing with it? Yasmin, who's dealing with everything else in the business. And it's like the worst thing, but the it's still so important. So I'm super excited about this. And I think that if you have a business, definitely sign up because it just saves you so much stress. And I definitely have met so many entrepreneurs who are dealing with tax bills and don't have their documents in place like five years in and it's super stressful. Try to get it sooner rather than later. And I'm just excited you guys make it easier. So props to you. I love everything you're doing. And it was such an honor, Shiloh, to have you on. I feel like I could have talked to you for so much longer, but this was such a blast. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.